Hello, welcome to the From Way Downtown podcast. Uh, it's the Pacers podcast from Indianapolis Star. This is Nat Newell, Pacers editor. Here, of course, with Dustin Dopirak, our Pacers insider. Uh, Pacers are off to a 2-1 and one start. We're going to get to that. But let's first talk about the big NBA news, which is James Harden getting traded to the Clippers, primarily for uh, draft picks. Um, just what was your – when did you find out about this trade that happened in the middle of the night? And- I was awake, for the <laughs> oh. record. I was still writing, uh, working on my insider piece for today about the, uh, uh, the Pacers not – Feeling too great with a half-court uh, oriented game. Um, but yeah, no, sitting up 2 in the morning, you see that one pop across, you're like, oh, well, that's an earth-shifting trade uh, that happening in the wee hours. I'm sure it's got to be great to be a 76ers beat writer right now when it's 2 a.m. where you are. and It was 2 a.m. where I was, but obviously I was just writing. I didn't have to worry about calling anybody uh, and confirming you know, a, a, the sort of news that sort of shifts the direction of the franchise you cover. Um, so, I mean, obviously, significant on a whole bunch of levels. Uh, you know, there was, I think... Uh, I thought a pretty significant significant gap between the Sixers as the third best team in the East uh, last year and and everybody else after that. Uh, you know, obviously Miami ends up getting to the finals. So you know, but for for most of the season, it seemed like it was Milwaukee, it was Boston. There was even a little bit gap there, and then there was Philadelphia. And Philadelphia seemed to be uh, at least going into pl- the playoffs to be the clear third best team. They certainly gave uh, the Celtics a great run in that. Uh, conference semifinals you know you see Miami on the other side of the bracket ended up you know catching fire and going for a run but Philly was still one of those teams as you know going into July that you had to consider uh, as at least a fringe title contender Um, and this knocks them off of that but obviously they were sort of you know you had to view them that way once Harden made the trade uh, demand because you had to presume even if you had Harden on the floor you weren't going to get the best version of James Harden if James Harden wants to be traded you know it tends to happen, and he tends to make it very clear that he's not a particularly useful <laughs> player for you. Uh, that's happened in the past. Uh, when when James Harden demands a deal, he gets a deal. Um, uh, he has set the NBA record for trade uh, for successful trade demands. I believe. Exactly. I think he's batting a thousand there, and and he makes it so that you don't have a choice. Yeah. Uh, basically, whatever he has to do, whether that's I don't know what he put on, but I remember seeing pictures the one year, and you were just like, you didn't. You, you haven't even run in six months, have you? Yeah, you just... that's the thing that is a little bothersome as a mm. fan of the sport. Is sure. Someone clearly, you know, is not trying, which is what the case was, I believe, in Houston with, with that Harden. That sounds right. I think that was uh, – it's so that's... many ago now that you're like – and I'm, I'm just a little surprised that a team would want to take him on, although the, the, mm. the, the, what they gave up – uh, I mean, two first-round draft picks is not nothing, mm-hmm. but it also wasn't a huge haul. Um, sure. And I think this, I mean, like you said, this doesn't necessarily knock the Sixers down because Harden wasn't going to be playing anyway, From- but it does give them pieces to make a move now. Um, I guess theoretically the move they make could be for a player that the Pacers might theoretically have interest in in terms of a forward of some kind. Um, you I never know. You don't really see the Sixers and the Pacers you know, be in, wading into the same waters in terms of interest no. from players arriving. Um, but so that's, you know, so it is interesting to see how that'll play out and where the Sixers will sure. factor into the playoff picture. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I do think they've, they've got another move coming because I think they, they have, they added some pieces that I think are still valuable and, and useful as role guys. You know, Marcus Morris, Robert Covington. I think KJ Martin's a nice player. Uh, you know, saw him in Houston last year, saw a lot of good athleticism from him. Um, there's one more guy I'm missing. But I, I was surprised that they didn't get somebody. One of the, There's a couple younger guys on that Clippers roster 
that you like that that I think can be you know scores guys that I, I can see you know long term growth potential for. I still like Terrence Mann whenever I watch him play. I mean, I don't know about consistency or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know that I see him enough to see what kind of the holdup is there, but I feel like every time he gets on the floor and, and has a chance, uh, he does something good. Again, maybe that's me seeing him in, in, in limited circumstances. Uh, you know, I was you know Norman Powell was a guy that you thought maybe they might target as someone an off-the-bench type scorer. Um, but I think you know, I, I was just a little surprised to them not get anybody that you could look at and say, okay, that's your third guy now. And it's okay if Maxie moves up, Tyrese Maxie moves up and becomes the second guy because you see obviously a ton of potential for him to be a guy that's, that's all-star caliber. Um, I, I think you saw a lot of that last year in the playoffs. You know, there were games when Tyrese Maxie was the guy. Um, and so it's, it's Philadelphia coming to believe that, all right, that you, you can lean on him. Um, but I think you need a third guy that's at least close to that caliber if you're still trying to make a run for the East because the ante is all obviously upped for what both Boston and Milwaukee did. Milwaukee obviously getting Lillard and Boston getting Holiday and Porzingis. Uh, it is tougher to hang with those teams, and I don't know that Philadelphia did anything that puts them in that realm. I don't know that they're out of that next tier with your Cleveland, your Miami, your Knicks, um, and... Who else am I forgetting? I guess them, you know, basically. Maybe the Hawks, but then. You know, maybe the Hawks, not quite. Uh, I don't think. Like, I, don't, I don't think they're totally out of that tier, but they might not be at the top of that tier anymore. Um, where I think, you know, if, if you considered them, it, it, you know, I considered them more with Milwaukee and Boston last year, but if you considered them more with Cleveland than New York, um, you know, I would say that they were clearly the top gr- top team of that group last year, and I don't know that they are uh, after this move. So I do, th- do think it shakes up the East a lot. Makes the West certainly more interesting. you got a team with James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George, so Ty Lue, good luck to you. Um, Godspeed in, yeah, well, in all when, of your endeavors. When George so. and Leonard are hurt, he'll have another option. Uh, he will have another option, play. and they will be Russ and James, and that will be something. <laughs> That'll be something. I, I mean, Russ obviously, there's again. a there is a ton of potential there. You know, you could argue there are there are three top fifty all time players there, three top seventy five all time players there, and the other one's Paul George, and right now might be the best group, best player of that group right now today. Um, you know, certainly not as good historically, but a still really good historical player and, you know, might be the all around best player of that group. So there is a lot of talent there, but can you make it work? Um, and to what extent can you make it work when there's still a ton of talent out West? All right, let's move on to, uh, the team you came to listen to with the Pacers two and one start. I don't think anyone would have been surprised by that. If, uh, that had been predicted, Mm. They beat Cleveland, a wounded Cleveland team, lost to a mediocre Bulls team, so it's not the two and one I would have expected. Sure, um, we were just talking that you know that the two and it's one loss, it's three games into the season, um, so let's not make too much out of it. Sure, it did seem to take a little wind out of the sails in terms of enthusiasm for the team, but but mm. just where uh, you know what were your thoughts uh, three games into the season on the page? Yeah, no, it, it definitely stung them. Um, it, it definitely was one that they they felt. And noticed and were bothered by. Um, I, and I think one thing, and, and I don't know if this is the only reason, but it's just they were forced to play the Bulls game, um, and they weren't able to make it 
their pace. Uh, that says a lot for the Bulls. The Bulls did a really good job of committing uh, to forcing it to be a grind. A lot of teams want to do it. A lot of teams aren't successful in doing it. Um, but you know, I don't know if they created a template or if it's just a, you know sometimes the ball bounces your way and allows you to do certain things uh, that, that you might not have been otherwise do if it bounced a different way. But you know, they did. You know, first off, they pressured the ball in the in the full court. You know. It was, brought in you know alex caruso and javon carter who are particularly good at that um you know carter certainly going back to west virginia where they pressed like crazy um and so you know they were able to get in tyrese tyrese halliburton and just force him uh to not get a, a head of steam coming through the backcourt um you know and halliburton didn't turn it over a lot or anything like that you know he was able to you know withstand the pressure but sometimes they just flat deny him the ball for somebody else to come up and get it um and you know those kinds of things just making it so they they didn't get ahead of steam coming through the backcourt one two you know they, like bulls didn't turn over a whole lot the pacers did um yeah, pacers which was weird because they had not done that all yeah first they haven't two games. they have not done that a lot i think they had 12 turnovers in the full first game against 36 assists so they were really sharp in that but they were just a little careless uh in this one andrew nemhart in particular was surprisingly careless i mean out of the guys that handled the ball a lot last year he had the fewest turnovers uh so he had i think four and three in the fourth quarter, which is not normal for him um, at all. Halliburton had several. I mean, he tends to be a little bit slick with it, so it happens from time to time. Um, you know, you expect at least a couple of them from him. But, um, you know, just some, some carelessness with the basketball. Shooting, you know, clearly wasn't good at all. I mean, it's not necessarily a thing that you look at and say, well, that's a problem. You know, they're going to be bad. But uh, if you're going to play in the half court, you have to make shots. Um, you know, if, if they're going to force you to slow it down um, and put you in position, and they, they were giving those opportunities and they had to hit them. I and mean, the Bulls were really trying to take the paint away and just not make anything easy on them getting inside. So, you know, that means the paint, the, the outside's open and you got to hit it. You, you got to take advantage of those opportunities. And, you know, Halliburton was one of seven. You know, you know he's a good shooter. It's not a situation where you're thinking, oh, my God, is this the end of Tyrus Halliburton, this three-point shooter? <laughs> it's not. Um, you know, but I think he, he, he took a couple he didn't need to take missed makeable ones um and it was just a bunch of that you know like some was some shots were forced some shots were clean and looked good and just didn't go down um you know but just a, a bad recipe over overall and and the bulls did a better job in the half court game i mean i think what what's really interesting and i don't i didn't touch on this enough i don't think in my story i didn't touch on it at all but um you know levine and, and derozan uh found ways to score without having good shooting nights um you know uh derozan's just so good at getting you in position to foul him um and he didn't have not i think it was six of 17 somewhere on those those lines that's not a good shooting not at all uh levine was almost was just as bad um i think they were like a 12 of 36 between the two of them but they they got a total of 18 points to the line between the two of them and got everybody in foul trouble mather and neesmith uh nemhart everybody uh you know picked up a bunch dealing with those guys so um just gotta be you know as ricardo put it today just gotta be better at details and you know they just were not good at details and it's it's an issue so it's one that that's going to bother you because you're going to see a chicago team that's going to be right there um probably in the same relative position that the, the paces are going to be kind of a fringy playoff team you know play in ish round like they were last year they think they were a 10 i mean i expect them to be in a similar spot um you know they haven't had a great start but i mean you think those two guys can carry you um far enough to at least be right around that 500 range you know they're, they're not in the wizards uh category of just having blown it up um 
And maybe the Bulls will blow it up in February, you don't know. But all the same, at this point, the roster they have, I think, is fringe play-in-ish. Um, so those are games that are going to be important to you uh, if you're the Pacers. Those are the games you're going to look at, and so that's the one you should win. Um, and it's tougher when you go from that to going into Boston, likely not having uh, – not you don't know who you're going to have, but Halliburton and Matherin apparently are going to be questionable. Um, and so you you know really tough to go up there and win a game at all. It's a whole lot tougher to go up there and win a game if you don't have those two guys. Yeah, actually, uh, you, you talk about DeRozan. That's kind of the player that you want to see Matherin be. I mean, obviously, he can be sure. better. Great, but DeRozan's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, about to pass Larry Bird in career scoring, uh, as Twitter about that? Uh, yeah. noted last night. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the kind of player that he could be where, even if he's not a great having a great shooting night, he got to the line as a rookie uh, at a high rate. A great um, indicator of how good a player you're going to be is getting to the line as a rookie, so there's sure. still a lot of reason to, to like uh, Matherin in that because of that, um, but it's just an interesting uh, point. We've talked about the shooting before. Um, the Pacers have been a high-volume three-point shooting team. Yeah, Even good shooting teams, three-point shooting teams, have bad nights. There's just a wider uh, range of outcomes possible with three-point shooting. Sure. So that can lead to some losses. How big? I mean, it's again three games. I don't want to make too much out of out of this. But how big a concern from your view is that? And we've talked about it before. They don't, other than healed, they don't have like a. I mean, maybe Halliburton. They don't really have natural, you know, pure shooters. Mm. Um, is this something that they're going to have to deal with all year with the approach they're taking? <laughs> to an extent, I mean, I think Bruce Brown and Benedict Matherin are okay three point shooters. Obi Toppin's an okay three point shooter. Obviously, it matters that Halliburton can make a bunch of them, but he's the but he's the point guard because you're obviously what like what I'm talking about here is spacing. Yep. At, at, at the end of the day, I mean, like again, Halliburton can make enough of them. You know, he's going to hit his step backs. I mean, they're they're going to be coming off the dribble, coming when he's coming downhill and, and making a decision. You know, sometimes the ball is going to find him in movement. He's going to put the ball in movement. It's going to come back to him, and he's going to find looks that way. So the, there's, he's going to get a non-zero amount of three-point shots there, but a lot of those are going to come off the bounce. Um, but what you're looking for is the ability for the wings to space the floor, um, to, to open up that middle for Halliburton uh, and Turner to operate. Um, so you need to have those guys making shots. And I think, you know, um, it, it's just a, a weird thing to describe because they're just they're OK. You know, they're not bad. They're not great. They're going to have nights when they're really, really good. And they're going to have nights when they're not great. Um, you know, Brown obviously came out, you know firing on all cylinders the first game went six for eight career high in threes against washington you know three of six last night he's been pretty good but i mean you you know he was a 36 percent guy last year he's been up to 40 he's been down to 28 for a season i mean brown could be any any number of places you know matherin um is a really good shooter is he gonna and he's not a really good shooter he's got range he's got capability i think he's a better shooter than he was a year ago he shot 32 percent last year you get 36 out of him Maybe. Are you going to get 40? I doubt it. Um, and so that does raise the question of Buddy um, and, and, and making, trying to make sure that he gets opportunities with the first unit, you know, with Tyrese in particular. So you kind of have that stretch where you might be able to pile up a bunch of them in a, in a small stretch. Um, you know, I, I think it is. I think, I think it, it has been interesting to see him kind of warm up see you know see him just sort of find a rhythm in the course of a game i mean like um you know buddy was a guy last year in particular and 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 i see this in him in general like routine is a big deal for him and like almost to the point of being um pretty much to the point of being superstitious you know it is superstitious i don't don't know why i'm hedging this like (laughs) he 
does a lot, like just a lot of weird stuff uh, just before games, like to get his hand on the ball. You know, I mean, like he's he's taking it out of the ref's hand, so he's like the last person to touch it before it goes in play. You know, like he'll he'll come up to the ref and be like, "Oh, let me let me hold this and just like, get his hands on it, rub it around a little bit, and if he can shoot it one time or whatever before you get started, he'll do it." Like he's he likes to have a feel, and so. You you do wonder, you know, like he's not been bad shooting the ball, but, you know, that's just something of what what would get him cooking early in games. And so when you don't have that early, um, it's an adjustment. I mean, I think it's an adjustment for, for Halliburton, you know, not having Buddy right there to, you know, just get him started, get get him, you know, get him off and rolling, um, you know, the first couple of possessions so that you're immediately telling everybody, hey, we've got one of the best shooters in the game. You have to guard that guy. So, you know, make sure you know that because and, and let us operate in the middle. Um, you know, it, it, it does raise something there, um, you know, or if, if you're not ever going to play around with that, what do you do to make sure that you're maximizing? Um, you're, you're still maximizing having one of the best shooters in the league. You know, how are you getting the most out of that? Um, you know, there's still some questions to be answered there. I mean, I don't think they're going to be a bad shooting team, um, but they can be a really good shooting team um, if they play their cards right. And, you know, and, and I think they need to be really good if they're going to play at that pace. They've got to shoot the basketball really well. The, I guess just the bar is kind of high for success for them. I don't think they'll, you know, you know again, like I think they're going to be a 35 36% shooting team. I think they're going to make a lot overall, but, you know, just maximizing the efficiency you know, how do you go about doing that? I, just, I think it's still a question. They might have nights from time to time where they are cold, and when they are cold, it's a problem. Yeah, and I mean, it's a lot of it is less um, – I mean, they're, they're connected, obviously, but it's less what you're shooting and are you drawing the defense out to create that space that you're talking about. You've yeah. got to be with healed. Mm. Our team's going to take a chance on Brown or Turner or Toppin or Matherin, giving them a little bit more space so that they can improve the, the defense closer to the basket and let them take their shots. You know, mm. And I, they probably need – one more guy who you have to guard all the time on the perimeter right. to, to find some consistency in terms of running the offense. Yeah, no, and and I think it's it's just they they need Obi or Bruce or or Bennett, like one of those guys to really step up in the starting the starting lineup. I think you know the second unit has a chance to be good if if Neesmith continues to shoot the way he's shooting. I think you've seen some clear um, improvement. Um, you know, I, he didn't have a great night last night either, but. Um, you know, he seems more consistent to me. He seems more confident in the jumper. You know, just just the the way he's taking shots, the way he's operating. Obviously, adding more capacity as a driver, um, I, I think, goes a long way for him. I mean, he certainly was able to sort of slash from the corner uh, last year if he had a clean lane and and, and drive in straight lines. Uh, now, I think he's a lot more comfortable if he's got a defender in front of him beating that guy. Um, you know, being able to, to make a couple moves, change direction a couple of times uh, and get that guy out of position and then go by him um, and, and make a couple moves to start, you know, play random in the way that, um, you know, Rick Carlisle has mentioned it. I, I think that's made him a better player, made him a better shooter, um, you know, but, but he's playing off a of buddy and that works perfectly well in the second unit. But do you have enough shooting in the first unit to go off a tie? And that's a big question. I think, again, you know, Turner's helpful. Turner hit a couple last night. I think that was good, good to get him going. But it's just, do you have enough to sustain the pace you want to play um, in that in that starting lineup. All right, let's look ahead because it's a week that involves really uh, three things, three of sort of the big uh, storylines. Number one is the Celtics. We touched on them a little bit um, with our Harden talk. Then they've got the in-season tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your feelings on the in-season tournament? Uh, for people who don't know, certain games, everybody's going to play four games. Um, four group play games. And then the the winner of each 
pod, plus some wild cards. We'll go on to play, determine who plays in Las Vegas. Yeah. And the winners get five hundred thousand dollars. I'm mm. just, uh, that's a real quick overview. But but what yeah. are your thoughts on the? Yeah. No. You, you get you get there will be home sites in the quarterfinals, and then you know four teams go to the semis in Vegas. Uh, you know the the championship game doesn't count to the standings. I think it's the only one that doesn't. I think the semifinals and the championship game. Don't I think count. the semifinals do because I think they're getting everybody two games. Do they okay. afterwards? Everybody's get, everybody who doesn't make the quarters and the semis gets two games in that because um, there's an open window right now December between December 2nd and 11th um, you know they've got some space to play those games so no I mean it's I'm, I'm pretty agnostic on it I guess is the best way of putting it uh, I want to see how it looks do they care you know I mean as long as um, you know the big thing I think is making sure that that they want to see is some games that they can guarantee that everybody's going to go all out at, at, at like early on, not not necessarily all out in playoff fashion, but you're not going to have to worry about putting a game on TV and a star not be in it. You know, I, I think that's the big the big thing is sort of, um, you know, making just a little putting just a little bit more juice uh, in some games in November and December before you've really captured um, the audience. Because I mean, there, there's a non non small I think portion of kind of overall sports fandom you know that 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 cares about football and basketball and baseball and and is interested in all of it and kind of has to be woken up to each sport at a given time um that's probably me when i'm not covering the nba to be (laughs) totally honest with you is that you know it's like especially when i'm covering college basketball it's like all right like christmas is when you really start to care and so it's like getting on getting people on board a little bit before that making there be something that 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 is drawing their attention um you know early and earlier in the season to say hey you know it's it's time to care about these guys it's time you know you need to watch this this is going to be a game that's going to be interesting you're going to see high level basketball here as opposed to you know some nights when this guy's load managing or that guy guy's load managing or or this just this game isn't as important for this team as it is for that team or this team had a back-to-back whatever it is um you know i think they're just trying to maximize and we'll see just what kind of effect it has um you know just just where it goes i mean i think um as carlisle pointed out today it does make sense that there's a statement going you know like with these courts whether you think the pacers court is ridiculous in its awkward marineness or it's, not it's a little ridiculous it's a little ridiculous it's a little ridiculous my, my my view on it has been this it doesn't make it it on one hand, I don't like it because it doesn't make any sense with Pacers colors at all. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense with Indianapolis as a city at all. Aquamarine is not a color that in any way I associate um, with this town. That being said, it make, reminds me of swimming pools, and I do like swimming pools. So, um, you know, I, I'm not I, – I, it doesn't hurt my eyes to look at it because I imagine being in a pool, and I'm okay with that because um, it's going to be, you know, middle of November, and I missed the pool already. But um, – you know, I, I think just the idea of saying this is going to feel different. This is this is something to grab your attention. Um, makes sense as something for the NBA to do, and I do think um, I, I was interested in how Adam Silver was going to was able to create a consistent theme uh, when he was at the the uh, the opener to talk about the All Star Game of of saying you know it's about uh, it's just getting back to basketball and it's playing eighty two and it's sort of trying to call attention to everything you know you're you're willing to be gimmicky but it's you know going back to playing an East West All Star Game with four quarters that's just normal um, and I think the the idea of just not trying to be too cute about things um, is interesting all while being cute with some of this stuff yeah. but making it so that the focus is still 
playing, uh, you know, trying to play as much high level basketball as you can, trying to push the guys to play as many games as they can. Um, you know, that the, they've wrapped it around this, this grand theme. Um, you know, it's going to be, again, more agnostic than anything, but interested to see how it plays out. I could just see the logic, I guess, is, is the best way. As I see this logic path, um, it, it's conceivable that for me that it will work. I mean, if it's dumb and they just, everybody just wastes a trip to Vegas. It's not the worst thing that ever happened. You know, throw 500 grand in, in a few more of these guys' pockets, you know, the NBA will live um, if this just doesn't go well. But, you know, it's, it's something that I think is it's worth a shot. You know, uh, soccer people, I think, are more interested in this concept or, or, or have more to say about this concept. So I, I'm, I'm, I guess I should probably ask for Osterman's thoughts. Um, but, well, I'm ready yeah. for that. Okay. There so, you go. <laughs> first off, I don't get this at all. It makes yeah. no sense to me. Okay, fair. I hope it works. I mean, yeah. uh, anything that makes people more interested in basketball, the NBA, mm. the better. I, I, but personally, I don't get it. Agnostic's a good word for it. However, I talked to Matt Glenesk, our assistant sports editor, who is a soccer person. Right. And he said this is obviously something from the soccer leagues. Yeah. He noted that what makes it special in soccer is that some of the lower division teams are involved. Sure. So they can play the big guy and, and upset them on occasion, and that adds mm. an element to it. Right. So hear me out. Sure. G League team plays <laughs> first round. Yeah. G League team plays their NBA affiliate. Mm. If they win, they <laughs> advance in the tournament. What do you Love think? Does this. that add to this or Love not? Love this. Yeah. What do you think? Does that work? It's fun, but there's just no way it's no going to work. No way it happens. No way it happens. Tell me that no way it's going to work. It's a great idea. I mean, if... It would be better. It would be even better if there was a really good non-affiliated basketball league. Yeah, if you could wrap in some if, kind of Europe, which they've the, actually talked about some of the European yeah, high level. That teams. that I think would be one. It, it, yeah, so so European high level teams, I think would would be one that would definitely add to the concept. Um, you know, if the G League wasn't. NBA affiliated you know it just because that's the issue is like obviously any G League team you have has been determined by who you don't think you need um, you know at the NBA level and and those a lot of those teams can play you look at some of these rosters like wow I remember that guy I remember that guy I remember that guy I mean if you threw a G League all-star team in it you know like yeah, that would yeah. be interesting something something along those lines but I mean I look at the full Pacers G League roster, and I know that's not that's not a close basketball game. <laughs> no, know, it like, would not. You Which look, is you why look they down the list. Be afraid to play yeah. them, and then- oh, they shouldn't be afraid. It just I, the, the G League guy should be afraid to play them. My <laughs> God, man. Um, you know, because I mean, obviously, I, mean, I do think the Pacers has some nice little two way guys, and Kendall Brown and Isaiah Wong and, and Oscar Shibway. They've been okay when you've seen them in preseason. Not great. Um, but you saw, you know, Wong as a star in Miami. You saw Sheway get a bajillion rebounds, and he's respected even among the full-time guys as being somebody you need to know about as a rebounder. But yeah, they get the doors blown off. I mean, you're talking about going down like Pedro Bradshaw and Jordan's. You know, that's the it's, it's the weak like links. People always want to talk along, about like some great college football team playing the worst NFL team. Yeah, and no one thinks about unless that college football team has five. You know, legitimate linemen, you know, yeah, draftable exactly. linemen. Mm. The NFL team is going to destroy the yeah. whatever their weakest lineman is, and you, they're you, not going to be able the toughest, to do anything. Yeah, the toughest guy might be able to hang in there. The guy who's going to be a top 10 pick at next year might be able to hang in there. But there's some guy on that team who's not. 
a top And you're going to just destroy And you're just going to attack that guy. You're going to figure out who he is, and you're going to just rip him, just absolutely rip him. And so that's, that's exactly what would happen. And that's what would happen in a basketball game. They would find a way to pick on the guy who they knew, knew couldn't have. I, that's what you see in the playoffs now in the NBA. Sure. Guys yeah, get you played know, you, off the court because once you get in the seven-game series and you can really focus in, yeah. you play a guy who's, you know, and they, who can't play defense the, off the court. The Bulls found a way last night to get DeRozan on Halliburton in a couple possessions. And, you know, like, obviously that's not ideal. That, like, the Pacers didn't want that matchup. You get switched up. You have some picks. You have, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden, there's Tyrese Halliburton in front of DeMar Rosen being like, oh, my God, what am I going to do here? Um, and so, you know, didn't work out well, you know, on either of those occasions. So, yeah, and, and so it's even worse when you get to that. But the, the European idea, I think, is a really good one. And I, I don't know how, how you, you mix it up, where, where you play them. Um, but you bring in, you know, Real Madrid, you, you, uh, bring in, you know, um, in a post-war scenario, the Maccabi teams from Israel, you know, uh, some of the teams from Germany, you know, like there, there are some high level, um, you know, programs, uh, you say programs, clubs out there, uh, that have been producing great, great teams for years and years and years and years. And, you know, some of those guys end up being draftable players. Some of those guys end up being uh, international, you know, Olympic quality players for years. And, and there's there's a lot of talent out there. And that would be, I think, uh, an interesting additive is bring that in. Um, you know, it had, it had some level of, you know, world baseball classic quality to it, but without the pitching issue um, that you have over there. Where these guys, you could just hoop. In baseball, it's a scenario of, Who's going to pitch in these games? You know, because nobody wants to do that. Everybody wants to go hit. Um, you know, you have these just loaded, loaded lineups, and you know, with the expect- exception of Otani, uh, nobody wanted to pitch in that. So you know, you wouldn't have that problem in a basketball scenario. All right, and then Monday, the Colts, uh, the Colts, the Pacers host the. I'm about to mention a Colt player. That's why I'm thinking about that. They host uh, Victor Wembanyama and the Spurs. If we only mm. visit here, uh, hopefully he's playing. There's been a lot of talk about how much he's going to play, uh, mm. things like that. Um, but to me, unless yeah, the thing you don't appreciate just watching some of these guys on TV mm. is just how big they are. Like. Yeah. Sherman Douglas was six foot tall, and I would he played for the Celtics, played at Syracuse, all that stuff. I used to watch him play, uh, and he's like, okay, yeah, but he's, he's six feet tall. Then you see him in person; he is six feet wide too. Yeah, just exactly. Enormous. Anthony Costanzo, former Colts left tackle, was just an enormous human being. He just yeah. looked like a different species. Mm. And on Twitter, normally <laughs> yeah. you have to see him in person. I was looking at whatever the video of Juan Bignano walking into the court the other day, mm. and you can just tell he just does not look like the rest of us. The way he moves, no. his size, even on a video on X, yeah. you can just tell he's different. That's mm. what everybody's been – I don't think the stats have been too crazy wild yet, but some of the things he does blocking shots. Yeah. Just uh, what have your thoughts been on, on what – obviously we haven't seen a play yet in mm. person, but what have your thoughts been on what he's going to be – um, with with him coming into town, yeah, no, day. I mean, I've seen, I've I've watched a little bit of the Spurs the other night. I think they were that a late night game against the Clippers. I, he didn't do a lot, but I mean, you, you right now you're just seeing it in flashes, and I, and I think that's one thing that I would say prepare for if you're a Pacers, you know, if, if you're a Pacers fan, you want to come watch this game, and you're playing the premium price or whatever it is to get in uh, at Gainbridge. Like realize what you're going to see is the flashes of something that you're going to see in the future. He's not going to come in and score forty. You know, so just be prepared for that. You know, on, on unless he does something that's nothing like, yeah, he's nineteen. <laughs> and 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 let's be serious. You know, there there are some rookies that come in and they light the world on fire because they're who they're going to be. 
you know, um, like they can build on that. But ultimately, you know, if they're a six, four guard or whatever, they have a sense of what their body is supposed to do, you know, and, and they can have a game where they get rolling and cook. And, and obviously, you know, Bancaro had a terrific rookie season. Paolo Bancaro is going to have a better rookie season than Victor Wembanyama will this year. You know, and so like that's a strange thing to say when you're like, man, this guy, Wembanyama is going to light the world on fire. He's going to be like nothing we've ever seen. So how is a guy like Paolo Bancaro that's you know, a better than average rookie of the year, but nobody that you were like, Vic Paolo Bancaro is going to change the game forever. You know, he's not like, we, we talk about Wimanyama in that LeBron James range, and we're on the same side telling you not to expect LeBron James rookie numbers. Um, you know, and so, but don't. No, he's, he's not going to be able to do some of the things LeBron did as a rookie. Certainly, probably next year won't do some of the things that LeBron James did in the second year. This is going to take a little bit longer. Because this is a guy who has to um, got a lot of arms and legs that he's got to get together, and 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 he's further along than most. His level of coordination is crazy, um, but you know he, he's not going to be a guy that's just going to be able to give him the ball and go say get me thirty right now. It's not there. But you're going to see one or two things in a, in the course of a game that you've never seen before. You know, and and you have to watch it. You got to keep your eye on him, and that's that's the reward is maybe one or two things a game. Um, and uh, but but that's what it's got to be. That that's what you got to have your mindset on, um, because if if you're going there expecting them to get thirty, you're going to be disappointed. It's but like the shot block. I mean, he had the one. I think it was Wiggins. Uh, you know, I, I think in the opener again, or one of the first games they played against Golden State. And Wiggins is not a short man. Wiggins like six <laughs> six. Yep. Okay, and he's got three going all the way up in the air, and like. Wemby is on top of him on, on, on a three. Like, he's way out there. Like, the closeouts are nuts. Nuts. Absolutely crazy. I mean, he just gets up so high with barely having to jump. There's just so much length to this man. Um, and, and still being able to handle the ball reasonably well. Still being able to shoot the ball reasonably well. Um, just to be able to – I think that the amazing – the fact that he can coordinate any of it when he's got that much length is, is kind of remarkable that, that he can – cross you up that, that that he can pass the ball you know he's got so many skills that are eventually going to turn into something spectacular they're not there yet but when it all comes together for him it's truly going to be an amazing package but you're just going to see the very beginnings of that if you come in and see him on monday yeah i mean to me all these guys i mean you just cannot appreciate how great of an athlete some of these i mean anytime yeah. someone who's not a, a professional athlete says oh i think i could go out there and at least no, you can't. No, you can't. <laughs> you, you, you cannot so appreciate can. how fast these guys are, how quick no. they are, everything else. And when someone comes in like Wembenyama and they change the math of the game, people, yes. the players the on the court yeah, have to say, mm. I got to think about it. I mean, they're every, they've been doing this all their lives. You yeah. know, there's certain times where you might get your shot blocked, and that's part of the game. He's doing that at a point when you have never had your no, shot blocked. No, and it's exactly. just unbelievable to watch exactly. someone like that who literally changes how the game mm. is played by the at an individual level by some of the best by the best players in the world. I mean it's just yeah. it just blows my mind to think, you know, watching that mm. kind of thing. Right. It's like the it, it's like a weird inverse of you know when when a pitcher is hitting like 103 105 like when 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 Chapman was dialed in um back in the Reds days and, and the Yankees days like when when he when when like prime Chapman like you had to be pr- pretty much swinging before he delivered you know like i mean like you had so little time to make a decision that's when like that's kind of when you're on a closeout like is, is that you have so little time to make a decision like when you usually you know w- when you see where he is if he's you know just 
first step out of the paint, you know, most defenders are like, well, I'm golden. I'm taking this. I don't have to worry about anything. Even if the guy's seven foot, I trust this. Wemanyama's seven four seven five with eight feet or whatever of wingspan. And so when he's at that paint, you got to think maybe not. Maybe this isn't a good idea. Or I got to put a lot of arc on this thing to clear it. Like I, I've got to make sure that there's more coming up that way. That my which, launch angle is which higher. Which you would never do in any other game. And you no. can't really prepare for it. I mean, obviously you can, no. you've seen the people with the super long arms that they're waving in the air. Yeah, they're like. You know, the artificial uh, yeah. uh, two-by-fours or whatever. Mm. But that's you just cannot prepare for it until you, you see it. Yeah. I think people will adjust a little bit and, and figure a few things out. But I, I just, I, again, it just blows my mind when someone comes in and literally changes the, how the game has to be played mm. among the best athletes in the world. Yeah. I mean, I will remember watching Manute. I'm old enough to remember watching Manute Bowl play, and he did that at 7-7. It was just crazy to see some of And he had, I mean, really zero offensive skills and right. almost no Total lack of coordination. Skills. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and Wembenyana has all those things, although, like you say, not fully developed yet. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be – I mean, anyone who has a chance to go see him play Monday ought yeah. to do it. We're going to test. Kevin Pritchard's uh, said that uh, he would sell it and never play before a crowd, not non-sellout didn't sell out. crowd. We'll find out Monday. But mm-hmm. he shouldn't play before a non-sellout crowd. Yeah, right. And exactly, but, again, like I do think that – there was a the I don't want to say the shine wore off, um, but the first summer league game when he didn't come in and light the world on fire, I, I do think that there was a recalibration, an immediate recalibration among the fan base of how exciting this is going to be. Um, so I, I I would say like if if he if you go there and he doesn't score twenty, don't think you know don't go ask for your money back. You know, right. um, this is no, you're going to see something that you're, you're, you're you've going never to see seen before, and it, and and I said it might just be one or two things over nope. the course of the game, and he might come out of there with like eight points and five rebounds and a couple assists and a couple blocks, you know, and it's not going to be crazy numbers, and the Pacers might bust the Spurs up by thirty, you know, it's it's not a question that that team's still not all together yet. Popovic is not putting him in a place to be; they're not running a lot for him, you know, at this point, so understand you're not going to see that guy dictate the game you know it's not going to be like when you come in and watch lebron and that's what every play is about lebron it's not going to be like steph you know like when when you come see those guys now the game is centered around them or even durant or donovan mitchell or, or, or those guys like any anybody on that caliber Jokic, Giannis, you know like if you want the guy to be center stage you know, like if, if that's what you want, if, if you're making your decision on, okay, what premium game am I going to, you know, and you want somebody to be the guy who's involved every play, go see those guys. You know, they're more developed, they're more together. That, But, like, if you want to see something that's special and just the flashes of it for what's coming later, that's what Wembenyama is going to be. And prepare, yeah. prepare yourself from a consumer experience that that's what you're, you're paying for. And let me correct myself. I said go and watch something you've never seen. Go and watch something like Miles Turner has never, never seen. seen before. Yeah, exactly. That's Tyrese Halliburton has never so. seen. Yeah, like, again, LeBron James called him an alien, and that's the best. LeBron calling him an alien is the best possible way of describing what this is. Because, again, Le- LeBron is a freak on, like, we, uh, we've seen, um, you know, like – from the very beginning, yeah, he's uh, underappreciated. What uh, just two hundred seventy pounds, six foot nine, yeah, human can do with exceptional handles, passing ability, finishing ability. Pretty good, if not great shooter. You know, 
defends when he cares, you know, at times. Um, it, what, 10, East, 10 Eastern Conference titles in a row or whatever it was, nine, I don't know, something crazy. But just the bottom line, as, as phenomenal as he was and, and as, and as sculpted for the purpose of being a basketball player as he was, uh, he looks at Wimbledon and says, I've never seen anything like that. That doesn't even make any sense to me. Then that tells you what you're looking for here, what you're seeing. All right. Well, we appreciate you listening to the From Way Downtown podcast. As we just noted, um, a ton of stuff, a uh, ton of storylines for the NBA as a whole uh, connecting with the Pacers this week. Keep coming back to IndyStar.com. We'll be there for it all. Thank you. Thank you.